This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. Good. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double water. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the NCAA Tournament Elite Eight betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson and Mike Randall coming to you live from Monday morning. Colin, what's going on? Today's the day. Arkansas Razorbacks, Woo Pig Suey. We have our chance to go to the Final Four. Spread that is rising, not a good sign if you're a Razorback, but uh, today's the day. I'm excited. Woo Pig Suey. Randall? It's great, man. Elite Eight's here. We missed it for two years. We have four fantastic games. Upsets galore. Craziness on Sunday, man. But that's what makes it great. Just incredible stuff all around. And we got two big-time games today. Absolutely, man. Go go Razorbacks. I'm on board at this point. Four Elite Eight games. All four with spreads of seven and a half or more. Doubt we've ever seen that before. We're going to get into all four games. To today, to tomorrow. Before we do, let's go around the horn, give you a chance to yell, scream, complain, whatever you want to talk about. Good teams win and great teams cover, but some teams do neither. This is Thanks for Nothing. I'll start. I'll start with Alabama's second half. I'm still not over that one. And usually I'm, I can get it over losses quick. And look, I had a magical march, magical run. The regression monster was going to come get me eventually. And that was just as brutal as it gets. First of all, I have no idea how Alabama lost that game. What did they shot? 11 of 25 from the line, 25% from three. But just the second half, just don't make the, uh, 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 the heave. And then they cover the second half. Instead, you make the heave at the buzzer. It was going to be like the magical moment of the tournament so far if Alabama wins that game in overtime. By the way, Juzang's fouled out. An underdog that gives up that shot 99% of the time dies in overtime. So I don't know how you said that, but that made me sick. I was with a friend who was had way too much money on it. I was sick for him, sick for myself. And, I mean, make some free throws, Alabama. Lord. And then, or I mean, the, the Pac-12, we got three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. Oregon State had a a less than 1% chance of winning the past three games. No one can hit a three against them per shot quarter. They should have lost the last game against Loyola by 17, but good for Tinko and the Beavers. We have a lot of Pac-12 we're going to get to, but uh, Alabama's second half was vicious. Here, it just means more. But you do this long enough, you're going to have to deal with losses like that, and uh, you have to move on. We have four, six, seven games left. It's no time to dwell on the past, but I will give you an opportunity to do just that. Randall, anything from this weekend that you want to get off your chest? Sunday was brutal for me. When we cap these games, what we want is something that is reasonable 
to our expectations. We don't want outliers. We don't want, for example, and we can talk about Alabama forever. My wife is screaming at the television. This game is rigged. Somebody's got money because she wants the charge at the end of the game, all this stuff. I don't want Isaiah White, who averages seven points per game and single digits in 12 of his last 14 games, to have 22 points and four or five from three-point range with 10 minutes left. And it just seemed like on Sunday there was a ton of those outliers along the way. And listen, Saturday was great. Oregon State's hot. That's fantastic. Loyola Chicago regressed a little bit. All that's good. But that's the thing that drives you nuts is when you have these situations, Jules Bernard just catching fire at the end of the first half against Alabama to keep them in it after Tiger Campbell gets in foul troubles. Those outliers occur, and we love them. We love them when they happen in our favor, but we don't love them when they happen against us. I don't know how Alabama didn't get to the window. So frustrating. Unbelievable. Colin? Yeah, let's make it a sweep on that game. I was the one holding the under 146. Felt like oh, I nailed the handicap. <laughs> Even went. I mean, guys, I mean, I went on the Action Network, like, uh, March Madness show yesterday, and I said I was more comfortable having an under in UCLA and Alabama because I didn't think overtime was as, was as close of a probability as it was in USC and Oregon. I couldn't have been more wrong. I forgot. I totally forgot that you had the under, too. Yeah. If you had the under, second half, Alabama to win, I, I, I was – yeah, that game wasn't fun. The, the shot was unbelievable. I was – I was just ready to count my ticket and I was writing off Alabama money line. And uh, yeah, that, that shot did you no favors either. March madness has finally returned and there's only one way to celebrate. Let's get gambling. Gambling. But let's get into these games. Kyle, we're going to make you wait because Arkansas is the second game. We're going to start with Oregon state, Houston. Houston is a seven and a half point favorite over under 129. It's dipped down. A tad. This Oregon State team, they're shooting, I think, 44% from three during the tournament. I think 45% from three since the start of the Pac-12 tournament. Opponents are shooting 24% from three since the start of the Pac-12 tournament. The three-point luck is going to, you would think, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen, but you would think it's going to catch up to them eventually. I think that Houston preparing for Syracuse is going to help them here. Prepare for that zone. You're going to see a bunch of zones here against Oregon State. There is there are some paths to success for Oregon State other than just hoping for more three-point shooting luck. They try to get to the foul line a lot. They live there. They try to live on the offensive glass. Houston, very aggressive defense. You can get to the they're, they're going to get to the line. And can they get Houston in foul trouble? I, it's very difficult for me to see Oregon State winning this game can they cover sure i think it'll come down to three point shooting i make this game right around seven and a half or eight i probably will not have a play on it pregame so curious to get your thoughts randall i'll start with you i think it's too high again we continue to view oregon state through the prism of a 12 seed and we view houston through the prism of a two seed Houston did a fantastic job against Syracuse. The two things that I didn't think they were going to be able to do is I did not think they were going to be able to score enough to win that game. I did not think that Gorm, who had a big game inside, Fabian White gave him some minutes. They did limit Quentin Grimes. I didn't think they would score enough, and I thought that Syracuse would find other ways to score. So I thought it would be like in the 50s, and I thought Syracuse would, would be close or, or eke out a win. In this situation, those ancillary players for Houston are not going to be able to do that. Alatiche, Silva inside. I don't think they're going to have as much success. And the difference with Oregon State is Buddy Beheim is catch and shoot. And Houston took that away, no problem. You guys nailed it on the pregame show, on the, the pre-Sweet uh, 16 show where you talked about the uh, 
the prop, the 22 and a half points of Buddy Beheim, way too high to go against Houston. Ethan Thompson is playing at a different level. He's attacking the basket off the dribble. He's turning his shoulder. He's nailing his threes. Lucas had two fouls against Loyola Chicago, so he was limited. I think he comes back and has a good game. So that's my issue. I just don't think Houston, besides Grimes hitting bombs and the putbacks and the aggression and the rebounds inside, is going to do anything here against Oregon State. I think they'll battle. I think they'll play tough defense. But I do think these points are way too high. People are waiting for Oregon State to just fall off a cliff here. Folks, they're a 12 seed because the majority of the season, they did not play well. Tinkle is scheming. They did a great job against Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago is so good. Mosier is so good at defending how you come off a screen that he's going to defend you on the drives and wait for you to extend those arms to take the charges. He got Oregon State got into that area. They saw what was going on and they adjusted. I think it's a close game either way. I think the eight points is way too high. We're going to go with the old low-scoring game, so take the points, and that's what I'm going to do here. I understand that the regression is going to come. I just don't see how Houston, again, is going to be able to score with bombs from three and putbacks inside. I think Oregon State is going to be tougher for them. Loyola Chicago does not play as great a schedule as Oregon State. The teams, obviously the Pac-12, really good this year. So maybe we undervalue the schedule for Oregon State. And I think Thompson and Lucas will be able to do things that Buddy Beheim and company could not. So I like Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, I I would – I don't see a ton of value in the number, but I do lean under here. These are two slow teams. I think this is – It's this game could be not the prettiest to watch. And when you're talking about catching seven and a half, eight points in a game that I would lean under 129 in, that's always going to be tempting. And, look, it's one of the things that I still am having difficulty with. It's how, how good is the Pac-12, right? Like Oregon State has benefited for some from some luck. So is UCLA, but the results speak for themselves. Like they just you have three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. By the way, you bring up Loyola Chicago, uh, Illinois died for that. Oh, I have to had to throw that out there. Colin, what do you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into if you want to call it a trap, we'll figure it out that the regression is going to come for Oregon State. Mostly, I mean, it's both sides of the ball. Their defensive points per possession is. Like they've had their best three games in the tournament here. So I it's not just that their offensive shooting has been red hot. Seven of their last nine, they've been above their season mark of 35%. Uh, so, I mean, they really are on a, on a shooting tear right now. But on the other side of the ball, what people don't see is that, you know, defensive points per possession, they're clipping at their highest rate of the entire season. So, you know, it's one of those things, is it is it for real or is it not? And then I just can't get over, like, you know, Randall mentioned, is the offensive rebounding edge that Houston has here. And there should be plenty of tap backs and, you know, their top 25 and three-point defense uh, on the perimeter. And so I think, you know, Houston has a path to crush them. But, you know, at the same time, I can't figure out if this defensive surgence that the Beavers have had, if it's real or not, because these, you know, defensive points per possession suggests this is the best they've been all season. And one more thing, guys. Houston, wonderful. Samson, amazing job. But again, are we sure that Houston has beat quality opponents has has enough experience beating quality opponents to get here they beat a 15 in cleveland state they beat a 10 in rutgers and they beat an 11 in syracuse and during the season only one quad one win and that was texas tech back in november i mean they struggled against memphis who didn't make the tournament so again i'm just questioning them against a high quality opponent and i know that we still view oregon state as this pac-12 bottom feeder they are not right now not anymore they're clicking 
I mean, how good was the AAC? I, I, I don't know. You, you could have legitimate questions there about Houston. So uh, fascinating game from many different angles. I would lean under. I think the line is about right. You got arguments for both sides here. If you, I, I'll, I'll be looking at the second half here. So make sure you follow along on Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. This is Action Network podcast producer, Matt Mitchell. Here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, plus they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right, let's move on to the second game tonight. And I'll try to get out of Colin's way here to let him get his thoughts in as much as he wants. Arkansas, Baylor. This is probably the game most people are looking forward to the most tonight. Baylor's a seven and a half point favorite. Total 148 has ticked down a point or two. Baylor looks like they're back. We saw it against Villanova. Uh, looks like their defense is back, their legs. They had a week off before the tournament. They had a week off before this weekend. That has only helped. They weren't practicing during COVID. We, we've we talked about it ad nauseum. They came back. The defense wasn't the same. They just looked a step slow, specifically on defense. And now you don't really see that now. It looks like the pre-COVID elite Baylor team. Arkansas, really good. Survived that Oral Roberts shot. I wish we had a camera of uh Colin on that shot and how where he was laying on the floor of his house so Colin I'll start with you first you got to update us on where you were and how that was it slow motion that shot going up and then give me your thoughts on this game Woo pig suey Colin's talking Razorback basketball uh, yeah I was in the backyard I was on the ground uh let's just say I I was like I don't know. There, It was like my life, my entire sports life flashing in front of me as that clean shot on that clean camera angle got let go. I thought our tournament life was done. We would be back to being the butt of jokes. People would never forget ORU, probably for the length of the rest of my lifetime and for some time in my kid's life. Um, so, yeah, that was I mean, that's two games in a row that it's, you know, it's it's just been high anxiety. And these games have been uh it's been fantastic to watch for Arkansas. It's really great to hear and to see around, you know, the social media world that like people know that the Arkansas game is going to be a barn burner. Like they know that it's going to be high quality fun to watch. Some of these have been duds. So it's, 
it's been great to have the added excitement around the game that, you know, you study and love the most. So, you know, hopefully I'm not on the ground tonight. I have a, I have a safer plan to stay in my chair. Uh, this one I think is, is just, it, it's sort of the same, but it's different. And when I say that Baylor runs a defense and no middle defense, just like Texas tech does. So it's the same as in Arkansas and Musses have already seen this. And then it's different as in it may be a lot faster than Texas Tech. The pace here may really kick up. And the strength of Baylor comes in their four guards, Jared Butler, David Mitchell, uh, Meshio Teague, and Adam Flager. I mean, they're they're excellent long-distance shooters. They can attack the rim. Uh, they are a lot like what Arkansas is with their guards. And it's mission critical for Arkansas to play great defense at the guard position. And J.D. Note is 73rd in the country in steals, which is great. And Jalen Tate and Moses Moody are both six foot six, and Devo Davis has been just the biggest star. Moses Moody. Moses Moody. Little Rock Lightning. But those four have to have their best defensive day on the season to get this upset here. Baylor's second in the nation in three point percentage, uh, and they and they fire away at a top fifty rate. So here we go, just like you know, Oral Roberts with a team that loves to shoot the three as much as possible. And I think there's good news from the perimeter defense from the Hogs. I had been kind of chirping that it, you know, they were on a downward trend here about their defense on the perimeter. But Oral Roberts fired 31 times uh, and only connected on eight of them. So it was at least a positive, encouraging sign that at least they, you know, affected some shots. Um, and this was Arkansas's best perimeter game in the last six outings. Baylor, I know we're supposed to say they're back. There's, there's, I've been looking at their trending metrics because we've been wondering off the COVID pause, like when was the defense going to come back uh, from a points per possession? Uh, I mean, it has come back against Wisconsin and Villanova, but that was also the two slowest games of the season. And they kind of ended their regular season slate against some snails against, you know, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas State. So it's really hard to gauge, like, is this Baylor team slower and more efficient or is it just because of the the people that they've been playing um, so, you know, what I do know is that Baylor's top 100 in offensive tempo, uh, and, and that should equal a pretty toward start with Arkansas. And I do like the over here up to 151. I think the question is, I mean, the one thing that we're absolutely sure of is that we are buying the Razorback dip. We're not laying any pregame on Arkansas whatsoever. There's going to be a TV timeout dip. And when that happens, we're going to take our one unit on Arkansas. And I think the question is, is have the players figured out that we just can't settle for jump that we can't, you know, we have to, to bust this no middle zone. Are we going to take what they give us? Or are we going to try to attack the rim? Because everything for Arkansas gets better when we attack the rim. So I just, I, I thought we were going to attack the rim against Oral Roberts from the start. And that's where the, you know, it was an easy cover for, for anybody that backed Oral Roberts because Arkansas, it took them until in the second half to start attacking the basket. So we'll see how long it takes to figure that out because that is the key to winning this game. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that from the eye test, just from what you see, it does look to, to me that Baylor's back. But huge, enormous athletic advantage against Wisconsin. Same with Villanova. And remember, this is a Villanova team that was without Colin Gillespie, right? You could just sit, and the game wasn't that fast. There's not going to be a huge athletic advantage for Baylor in this game on the perimeter. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be targeting that Arkansas dip, like we said, under 12, under 8 timeout. When Arkansas is what down 31 in this game, we can get them nice juicy number live. So obviously not 31, but yeah, they, they just down double digits. It's what Arkansas has done all year. So I would also lean over with you. I'm going to be looking. I, I mean, the line for me, I think I'm around seven and a half, right where I think the, the market is right now. So not a game I'm running to bet, but yeah, if we can get Arkansas plus double digits and then 
I like some of the things that I'm seeing because, yeah, well, let's see what Baylor looks like in a, in a faster game uh, against a team that can match up with them athletically. And, uh, yeah, under that under 12, under 8, media timeout, see if we can get a nice, juicy number on the Hogs. Randall, let's bring you in here. What say you? Yeah, it was a great win for Arkansas. Davis and Tate were huge for them. And Moody could not get going for a while, but, of course, he's their go-to guy down the stretch. The thing that concerns me, and I like Arkansas in this game, the thing that concerns me is I don't know if they can afford to have yet another dip against Baylor the way they're playing defense. When they play Texas Tech and Colin, that's a great comparison with the Styles teams. When they played Texas Tech and beat them by two in, in you know a couple of days ago, Texas Tech shot 10 of 20 from three-point range in that game. Now, Baylor has not been shooting great from beyond the arc. Jared Butler, sometimes he is a talented guy, just a special player, but he does let the game come to him a little bit. He doesn't impose his will. So if Baylor comes out, can't make threes at the rate that they can, and, and certainly number one team shooting threes in the country, they have the potential. And Jared Butler is more passive as he is sometimes early on. Arkansas may be able to, to overcome that slow start and actually get up here. If they can do that, I think they're in great shape. I just don't know if you want to be down against a Baylor team that has finally gotten over the COVID haze. I don't know if you want to get down 12, 15 points to Baylor and bank on the miracle comeback. I think that's a problem. I think Musselman's got to scheme something here to try to get him started and get him going because you're playing a different caliber. They can get Baylor up and down the floor. They can get Baylor, you know, for some turnovers and the rebounding inside will be strong. So they have the style and the roster to match up here with Baylor. I just want to see them come out and look. As much as I mentioned before, sometimes weird things happen. It'd be great for Colin and the Razorbacks to see him hit a couple threes to start the game and mm-hmm. loosen him up. Moody's got to get going because they were one of nine from three-point range. So they, they're going to need to hit some threes in this game, which is not their strength, but they can turn Baylor over. I think they can run them out, and I think they can rebound with them. I just don't want to see him get buried by too much because I don't know if you can come back against a caliber team like Baylor like you can against Oral Roberts and the other ones. Colin, if uh... – you were to say, as an Arkansas fan and better, Arkansas wins this game. What's the one key or the one player that you think needs to have a big night or, the, or something you're going to be watching for? Is it three-point shooting? Is it not getting too far behind? Uh, is it maybe better not being all the way back? What is something that you're keying in on early here? Yeah, I need I need J.D. Note and, and Jalen Tate and Moses Moody to play defense as wild and as crazy as Devo Davis. I need the three of them on the other three guards to step up. And really, Arkansas cannot struggle from jump shots, outside jump shots, outside the middle, like they did against Texas Tech. Baylor will eat them alive. So really, they can't. And I think both of you guys are extremely correct. If Arkansas, I'm a little nervous about the Razorback TV timeout dip because Baylor's good enough to bury him. And we talk about there's been a lot of live lines. There's been a lot of duds in the Sweet 16 the last couple of days. A lot of these games get into the 10 to 20 point mode and teams can't come back. And it's just a you're just dead in live betting, completely dead. And and there's just this hump between eight and 11 points that none of these teams can seem to cross. And so I think if you're focusing on live betting, you're looking for is Arkansas taking uh, jumpers, clear jumpers way away, you know, sh- non, you know, high shot quality shots. Are they getting to the rim or do they have clean looks? If that's not happening, Arkansas could get buried here. Now, I'm still going to fire away on Arkansas no matter when they get that double digit uh, trail. But I mean, really, they've, they've got to play extremely. Everybody's got to play Devo Davis's defensive uh, efficiency and everybody has got to attack the rim. And, and we'll see if that happens. 
Fair enough. Yeah, you don't want to get too far behind against Baylor, that's for sure. So I think that's a great point that both of you have brought up. How are the Razorbacks going to do? I'd say it's pretty good. You know, I follow them very closely. I buy the SEC package on my DTV, so I watch every Razorback game that I can get a hold of. And there's a lot of publicity on the defense, and I'm following it all very closely. I think it's going to be good this year. All right, let's move on to Tuesday. Two games on Tuesday, Elite Eight, Monday and Tuesday. It's still very odd to me. USC, we're going to start off with USC Gonzaga. I'm actually really looking forward to this. Gonzaga is a nine-point favorite, total 155.5. USC has just been on fire from three. When this team makes outside shots, they are extremely dangerous. National title worthy. Can they beat Gonzaga? I, I don't know. But if they, if they continue making shots, they're going to have a chance. And I really wanted to see USC here because – Oregon is excellent in many ways, but a lot of what makes them great is Altman's in the tournament is Altman's changing defenses, his zone, his prep. Do you really want to zone and press Gonzaga? And I don't know who they would have, who they have to check to me. So at least USC here with their interior defense doesn't have to help. I mean, the Gonzaga offense, you saw it against Creighton, absolute juggernaut. Like, hey, you can't stop Timmy. Yeah, try to help. They kick out. They make all their open threes. They're great in transition. So at least USC can try and slow this game up. Their interior defense is arguably the best in the country. They don't need to the help. They have, you know, pro NBA size inside with the Moby brothers. So they can battle with Timmy as well as any team in the country without having the help. And then, you know, that helps with your perimeter offense. You're never going to shut down this Gonzaga offense, but I think USC at least has a chance to get some stops here. They're with their length. Just make it more difficult on Gonzaga than we're used to seeing. Can USC score efficiently enough? That's the question. They're going to have to continue to hit shots to have a shot to potentially pull off this upset. And Gonzaga, if you're still saying Gonzaga doesn't play anyone and they're not good, you got to stop. I mean, and first of all, just go back to their non-conference schedule when they were just blowing everybody out. Tournament teams on neutral courts. The offense is a juggernaut. I do think that the defense is a little vulnerable, but the problem is you you have to – keep scoring with them. So I think this is a fascinating X's and O's matchup. And I, I'm i going to give USC a long, hard look here. I was hoping it would get to 10. I don't think we're going to get there. Randall, uh, Trojans have any shot here? I love the stylistic difference. I think that's fantastic. I have been wrong about USC. They continue to win. They continue to cover. Enfield is great against the spread. They've done an outstanding job. I I have a hard time going against Gonzaga. I, that game against Creighton was super impressive. Creighton was hot. Zagorowski comes out, hits his player prop on over two and a half threes right away. If you're going to hold Kispert down to 12, and then Yai comes out and hits three threes, Nemhart goes for 17. How are you going to beat him? The Mobley brothers inside, they will limit Timmy. Absolutely. And Timmy, 22 points. Only had six rebounds there because Creighton tried to pull him away from the rim with Bishop, which I thought was a smart move. But their offense is just at a different level. And I do expect the perimeter defense of Gonzaga, they're not going to let Taj Edie go nuts again. Edie was getting a lot of shots because of the press, like you said, with Oregon. So they're breaking it, and Edie's pulling up from three. And, of course, Isaiah White, we talked about him. I don't think White goes nuts again. I think they limit Edie. I just don't see how you're stopping Gonzaga at this point unless you have some perimeter players who can attack the basket and score. The Mobley brothers are not dominant scorers inside. They're tremendous players. Evan's great. You know, again, you can argue number one pick, absolutely. And Enfield's been a cover machine. But I just think Gonzaga's perimeter D, their depth, they get up and down the floor. 
they just look like they're too much right now. I think it's a great game, and I'm glad because we're going to see, like you said, a stylistic difference. We're going to see something here that Gonzaga has not faced. But in the end, I think they will have that spurt. They will have that eight-point run there in the second half that will open this game up. That's the key. USC, great interior defense, not great against threes. Gonzaga likes to get the points inside, but they've been shooting very, very well. Kispert, Nemhard hit a couple. Ayayi from outside. So I just think Gonzaga is too much. It's lining up to be Gonzaga's year for me. Great stylistic matchup, but I like the Zags here. I'll lay the points. Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I think you can add me on the Gonzaga, but I'm going to wait for this USC money to, you know, pound it down into the eights. Uh, you know, I, I this is a game where I watched last night, Oregon, USC, and I thought to myself, is anything that I'm seeing out of USC's defense applicable to what's going to happen with Gonzaga? Are they going to run a 2-3 zone against Gonzaga? Because Gonzaga will just tear them up from, you know, from, from shooting. The one... The one thing that I keep going back to with this is that Gonzaga likes to get the ball up the court ultra quick, ultra fast. And so we mostly say, listen, anybody that's got rim attackers can give them issues. But at the same time, if you can't keep up with how fast they are up the court, if you can't disrupt their passing lanes and you can't disrupt how quick they want to score, they're going to eat you alive. And when I look at this, USC is 314th in defensive steals. That's horrible. And and that means that Gonzaga is going to be able to get up the floor and they're very comfortable three seconds and score as quick as possible. And that's not going to allow you to get the two, three zone set. So I just think USC could be in some trouble here because, you know, you, you, you're not going to have time to get everybody that you have back down the court and get set up in the zone. You're going to have to go to something different. Uh, so anything that I saw in the Oregon game, I said, this is not even applicable to the Gonzaga uh, um, handicap. So I like Gonzaga, uh, you know, to, to cover the spread, but I'm going to wait for it to come down because I think there's going to be a, just a slew of USC money going to push it down just a little bit farther. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that, that USC is going to do is they're, they're trends that, like, look, they have the interior defense to battle with Timmy. That's one key against Gonzaga, right? And then their offense is you have Suggs and all the Kispert, the shooters out on the perimeter, but they also get out in transition extremely well. You're not never going to stop Gonzaga in that department, but USC, look, if you go – Per hoop math, Gonzaga takes 34.9% of their shots in transition. That's number one in the nation. Their effective field goal percentage on those transition opportunities, 65.9%. Guess what? That's number one in the nation as well. At least when it comes to USC, they're top 15 in the nation in percentage of shots allowed in transition. They're under 20%. So can they slow this up enough? Can they get back in transition enough? Can they get on the glass enough? But they're going to have to hit shots. Like you're going to have to hit threes against Gonzaga and you're going to have to hope in order to pull up the upset that they're going to have a little bit of an off shooting night. Um, I, if I, this gets to 10, I would look very hard at USC. It's I still need to dig a little bit more into this game, but if USC continues how they've been shooting, they're going to have a shot here. I just don't know. Can we trust them? And then, Hey, look, free throws. Don't forget about USC at the line. That could creep up at any moment. They could have just a disastrous night from the line. You have to be basically flawless to beat this Gonzaga team. We'll see if USC can be tomorrow. And Andy Enfield, 10 and 0 against the spread now in the NCAA tournament. The Action Network podcast talks a lot about finding an edge, putting the work in, finding opportunities, and betting on them. And one easy way to lose your edge is to get absolutely hammered and start betting games. And that's why we want to tell you about our friends at Athletic Brewing Company. So Athletic Brewing was founded by these two guys, Bill and John, who loved craft beer, but realized the flavors they loved weren't available in non-alcoholic, like at all. So they started Athletic Brewing, and now they've won awards, they've expanded their brewery, these guys are killing it. 
Athletic Brewing sent us beers. We drank them. And because they're non-alcoholic, they're only 50, 70 calories a piece, something like that. And they actually taste great. So if you're looking to hammer a second half line without getting absolutely hammered yourself, these beers are a great option. So if you want to support this show, head to athleticbrewing.com, check out their selection, and place an order using the code ACTION15. This gets new customers 15% off their first order, and if you order two or more six-packs, shipping is always free. That's athleticbrewing.com. Use the code ACTION15 on that first order, and enjoy the flavor while keeping that gambling edge. Now, back to the show. All right, let's move on to the final Elite Eight game. Tomorrow night, 9.57 Eastern on TBS. Michigan, seven and a half point favorite over UCLA. Uber impressive win by Michigan. I was on Florida State, had Florida State going to the final four. I mean, I couldn't have been more incorrect on that call. Great. I mean, Michigan, not only great execution. Yeah, you could point to shooting luck. Didn't matter. More, more prepared team just schematically took everything that Florida State wanted to do away. They were well prepared for everything Florida State wanted to throw at them. And Michigan well-deserved, easy, easy victory. If you bet them just a, a party for two and a half hours. UCLA, obviously, we know a little bit, bit fortunate against Alabama. Probably not going to have that kind of shooting luck. I think Alabama was under, under 25% from three, under 50% from the line. I think that's only happened three times by a non-14, 15, or 16 seed in the last 20 years. So, yeah, they benefited from that. But, look, UCLA is here. They're in the Elite Eight. You can't question that. Right, I'll start with you. What do you see UCLA-Michigan? I like the two underdogs tonight and the two favorites tomorrow. Uh, Jawan Howard did a superior coaching job. You know, in the NBA where you guys – you see all the switches all the time, and they're always trying to get the mismatches, right? That's exactly what he did here against Florida State. They kept running screens. They kept waiting for mismatches. Finally, Dickinson is inside with someone undersized guarding him. They have to double. They have an open shot. I agree with you, Stuck. It's totally wrong. I did not think they were going to be able to do this without livers. They did survive against LSU. The, the, the foul call on Watford was huge in that game. But now they're just playing at that level again, even though they don't have livers. And the guy who's doing it, Wagner, has been tremendous. Ten defensive rebounds, had a double-double yesterday. He's making up for it. They even get a good game from Brooks. Eli Brooks basically did nothing, and they still end up winning because Brandon Johns was superior, just superior, inside, out, mid-range game. That's what Leonard Hamilton didn't expect. Florida State looked lost, and just like certain teams, you get them in a situation that they're not comfortable, and they fold like a house of cards. You get a Loyola Chicago down 10 in the second half, late in the second half, they're going to fold because their entire defense is predicated like a Virginia or Wisconsin on being in the right spot, controlling Temple. Okay, we're up three. Okay, we're down two. When they're down 10, they start to panic and they start extending themselves where they're not comfortable and they're not fundamentally sound. Virginia, as great as that run was, everybody forgets they won the title because of a Diakite last second shot to force overtime against Purdue. And because they ended up, Kyle Guy got fouled on a three, made all three free throws against Texas Tech. So those slow down teams struggle there. Now, in this case, UCLA benefited from the terrible free throw shooting by Alabama and the turnovers and the fouls on Herb Jones, two fouls in the first 40 seconds, whatever it was. Now they're going to play a Michigan team that's more disciplined. They're going to play a Michigan team that has a big inside in Hunter Dickinson back to the basket big that they're going to have to account for. And they're going to have crisp offense on the outside that can hit threes, 
work the ball around. I don't see Michigan having a fundamentally poor game like Alabama. UCLA, Mick Cronin, superior, superior job all around. I just think Michigan rolls here. I think they eventually put them away. UCLA, great job. I just don't think you're – UCLA needed a poor game from Alabama to win, and they got it. I don't think they get it here from Michigan. I think Eli Brooks starts to get hot and recover from a poor game, and I think the Wolverines advance. (laughs) If I did not have the under in UCLA, Alabama, which uh, hurt pretty bad with the overtime, uh, I would have immediately fired on the under here on this game with UCLA and Michigan. Uh, The one thing that sticks out with me in in, in the numbers is that these teams are absolutely god-awful in turnover rate uh, from stealing the ball on their defenses, which means UCLA and Michigan are going to have long, extended drives for as long as they want in their possessions. Uh, UCLA, we know, is outside the top 300 offensively in pace. Uh, They prefer to walk it up the court, make it a bit slower, eat up all the clock. Michigan, on the other hand, I think they're going to feed their bigs. I I don't think Cody Riley is enough for UCLA to stop Dickinson and some of the other bigs that Michigan has down in the paint. I wouldn't be surprised to see them work the interior the entire game. Michigan is – their offensive pace is getting slower and slower by the game too. The games – the tournament games against LSU and Texas Southern, throw those out because those were so – pace-wise, so high above the rest of the season. And they are trending in a five-game trend, season-long trend. It doesn't matter. They are trending slower and slower. So I like the under in this game. I probably should go ahead and just get over my little overtime, you know, getting busted with the Alabama-UCLA under that I had and firing under here on 136.5 before it goes down even farther. Yeah, the UCLA perimeter defense, it is vulnerable. And we didn't see it against Alabama. They missed shots. It's one-game sample size. That's what happens in one game. But I – I will say that UCLA did at least play two of really post-heavy offenses to start off this tournament after Michigan State once they got into the bracket. And they did a re- – Riley and company did a really good job against BYU, against Abilene Christian, who run a lot of their offense to the post. Dickinson, different animal here, but it, at least we've seen it from UCLA. That post-defense was fairly strong against two post-heavy teams. I think that'll help a little bit here. I do think that they're ultimately outclassed and – yeah, I think they're. I, I think UCLA's magic comes to an end, but I think the line is about right. Maybe I'll look to get in live. Um, but let's let's talk. By the way, we had a bunch of people reach out about futures, which I'm going to get back to as many as I can. Let's kind of finish up here. And look, just in general, hedging a future. We talked about it all year. It's okay. What is your plan when you actually? bought the future, right? So if you originally had like a Michigan future, right? You bet that because you thought that they could win the national title. And it's going to come down to your own personal risk aversion. It's going to come down to your own personal financial situation. If this money could really help you help your bankroll or help you personally, and you want needed to lock something in, that's something that you have to figure out on your own. But in general, I wouldn't even think about hedging a future unless and, and you, you always have to plan this out. So you have to say, okay, if I hedge this future now and then my team wins, all right, now I have to cover what I just hedged this round. So I never look at any hedging before the final four. Like, for example, St. Louis, 125 to one, wouldn't have looked until the final four. Now you also have to say, okay, you could also say, I hate this matchup. I want to get out now, but make sure you're planning ahead and doing the math. Sometimes even in the elite eight, you could, if you plan out the, the hedge and your team keeps winning, the hedge might not make mathematical sense, even starting in the Elite Eight. Now, if you have like a 1,500 to one ticket on Oregon State, or th- that's different. But 
I would personally let almost every future right now go, but I'll ask you guys your thoughts on that and what you think ends up happening the rest of the way. We'll obviously have a final four preview podcast later this week. It's been a crazy, crazy tournament, packed 12 teams, upsets. But I think in the end, we are getting, for what it's worth, and it was my opinion worth, but I think in the end, we're getting the Bay Oregon Zaga game everybody wants. That's my prediction right now. Sorry, Colin, I know you don't want to hear it. Randall, I'll throw it to you first. Any thoughts that you want to throw in there on hedging? And then your uh, ultimate prediction right now of who gets to the final. You don't have to pick a winner. What do you got? You guys talked about it on, on the show about the hedging for the guy who had the $50 bet or whatever it was. I think it was loyal to Chicago. Uh, and it comes down to where your personal finances are and how much you invested. Uh, it was, I mentioned to you guys earlier about that ticket, right? Someone had on Michigan winning it all. Uh, it was like, a, you know, they had crazy odds put down, uh, you know, $800 and could have, could win 130. And it was, they were selling it 130 K and they were selling it online prior to the tournament for like 15,000 or it comes down to where your finances are. So the reason you do these futures is to get yourself in these situations. I still would try to, to hedge against Michigan. I think without livers to see them make a run all the way to the title, even to the finals going against Gonzaga would be really, really tough, but it comes down to personal preference and, and the odds that you have. But um, you know, it depends if, if you can let it ride, it's always more fun to let it ride. As far as a tournament, I agree. Colin, I'm rooting for you. I think it would be fun as heck. But I think Baylor got through the dip that they needed to get through. I don't see anyone stopping Gonzaga. It's just starting to align to me as a Gonzaga year, still, you know, smarting from that Kennedy Meeks, not out of bounds call against North Carolina in the finals with two minutes left when he was on the baseline. It's just lining up to be a Gonzaga year. I think we're getting the Gonzaga-Baylor game that everybody wanted because I think Baylor's starting to roll. And I just don't think Baylor is going to have the matchup here against Gonzaga. I think it's going to be a Bulldogs year, but I think that's what we're getting in the finals. Colin, thoughts and uh, your prediction? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's wise to say it depends on the person that has the bet. And I have three futures tickets that are still alive, and I'll, and I'm treating them all three differently. And so I think it's, I think it's interesting to cover that. Like I have an Arkansas 100 to one, not for a lot of money, probably not the best number that was ever out there, but that's an emotional play. That is a play that I made that said, you know, I'm going to ride with this because if they pull it off, I'm not going to be left behind, but it's not something that I talk about because it doesn't come into the, you know, it, it, it's not something that I made based upon stats or actual belief in the advanced numbers that, that it could happen. It was an emotional play. So I'm, I've already written that the amount of money I've spent on that, I've already written that off. Right. So I don't treat that as an investment. Houston is a different story. Houston is a team. I got 80 to one at the Westgate before the season started. $250 wins 20,000. So because they are such huge favorites tonight, I will have that unit, that initial $250 that I spent on Oregon state at whatever their money line odds are. And that is just to simply get my unit back. And I have not touched that Houston ticket up till this point. And I'm happy to have an opponent that's going to supply me a, you know, a very nice money line uh, to get out of it in case Houston loses tonight. And then if they do win the game, uh, then it's not actually an 80 to one. It, it, it loses its value. But at the same time, I, I'm protecting that one because I can. Now, I do have a UCLA 80 to one future from the Westgate also. Definitely not the best number that was ever out there on UCLA. Um, this, of course, when I bought the ticket back in October, uh, UCLA was a much more healthier team, uh, and I thought their seed would be much higher. Uh, and so, you know, things have not gone the Bruins way that they even thought would happen this season. But that's a ticket that I'm not touching. Uh, I just you can't hedge it when you're a plus seven and a half dog. So it's something I will look for live. I may try to get that unit back in live betting. 
Uh, but because, you know, I'm not going to lay a huge money line number with Michigan, uh, I'm willing to just let that one go with UCLA. But at the same time, I'm also going to be watching live. So three different approaches. One is emotional and the other two are financial, but they're being played differently because of how they are right now in the market and their head-to-head match. Um, overall for me, I don't think anybody's stopping Gonzaga. Michigan's not stopping Gonzaga. USC's not stopping Gonzaga. Uh, so it really is who we're going to write in. And, and um, you know, I – at this point, I had—I uh, don't believe I had Purdue or Arkansas, uh, so I will—I will roll with Houston. Uh, Houston going into that championship game uh, and getting crushed by Gonzaga. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like, so what you have to do with a UCLA future, depending on what number you have, if you were to try to hedge it, and this is why it's good. So you can—we have power ratings, but you can—you can, you can kind of get an idea of what the lines would be, even if you don't have power ratings. But say, say you were to lay a big money line price on Michigan. Well, project out what would happen if UCLA wins and then they play Gonzaga. And then if they win that Baylor, you're going to, in order to cover what you're hedging each round, it gets expensive quick. Yep. So you have to do that math because you're going to have to cover what you bet the game before. And a lot of times it makes no sense. And people could get the people generally speaking, you know, recreational betters ask about hedging way too soon you have to do the math and project out the worst case scenario and say, okay, am I going to be able to cover and then be a little conservative on what you're projecting because you just want to make sure that you're not getting yourself into trouble by hedging too soon. So I would agree with like UCLA, like a projected path of Michigan, Gonzaga and Baylor. Again, it depends on your personal situation, what number you have, but you hope that you get through this game and then you root for upsets. You root for Arkansas, you root for Gonzaga to go down, but I agree. I think it's uh Gonzaga, Baylor. I'm not going to name uh, a champion just yet. I will say that for later this week. That'll do it for us. The people demanded an Elite Eight Monday morning podcast, so we had to deliver it. Hope you enjoy the games. Only seven games left this season. I'm glad we had a tournament after last year, so cherish these games because before you know it, we'll be sweating bullpens trying to hold on to leads for us on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, So enjoy the games, everybody. We'll be back later this week with a final four preview. We've appreciated your support all year. We'll also have a opening day preview. Colin, myself, and Sean Zarillo will be back later this week. That'll be out. We'll record Wednesday. So you have it Thursday morning for opening day. And then us three will be back Thursday night. We will record our final four preview. That'll get up late, late Thursday night. So you have it all day Friday. You know the deal. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Appreciate your support. Appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you follow all of our plays on the Action Network app. Find all of our content there as well, in addition to actionnetwork.com. Thanks to Colin and Randall. As always, we will catch you later this week. Cheers. He's out. Monday, Tuesday, Elite Eight. Get it popping. We're finished talking.